Masechet Ketubot Daf Kof Yod. We're going to see all of the last four Mishnayot of the Pedic on this Daf. Uh, the first two Mishnayot are going to be the last of the seven of the statements of Admon. These are the last two state, uh, laws that Admon taught. Uh, that's going to be Mishnah 1 and 2 on this staff. The third Mishnah is going to be about forcing uh, a couple, one uh, part of the couple forcing the other to move to a certain uh, place, a different region or a city or a town. And the last Mishnah is, Mishnah is going to be about one of the couple who wants to make aliyah. Can they force the other spouse to come, go and make aliyah? And that theme of the mitzvah of moving to Israel is going to continue all the way until the end of the Masechet. So the Mishnah states, A lender produces a loan document and says to the borrower, Here, you have to pay me back. Here is the loan document. But the borrower produces a bill of sale, a sale of a piece of land that is dated after the uh, statement of loan. And he says, well, after this, uh, this sale, uh, you, you sold to me a, 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 some land and I paid you for the land. Uh, now, the Admon is going to argue that the second document uh, cancels the first because The borrower can say, if I owed you money, then when, we came, when you came to sell me the land, you should have said, hey, before I sell you the land, first repay the loan, and then I'll sell you, sell you the land. But you accepted my payment of the of the uh, for the land, and uh, that is ob- obviously you must mean that I already had paid you for the loan, or I never had a loan. Uh, either way, that loan document must be false because the sale proves that you did not at that point at the time of sale demand uh, demand collecting the loan. Uh, so therefore, I do not have to pay this loan. Hachamim, however, say that the uh, lender may, may have had a very good reason to sell the land because he could sell the land, collect money, right, the, the, the price of the land, and he did this uh, for a smart reason. Uh, because now that the lender uh, sold his land to the borrower, the borrower now has land. And now that land can be used as collateral for the loan. Uh, in other words, if this borrower didn't have any land, then the lender, he can't collect anything because there's nothing, there's not, there's nothing uh, that has a lien on it. Uh, but now that he has, um, that he has a lien on, uh, now that, that he um, sold this guy land, now he can go and say, okay, you sold, I, I sold you the land. He has the money from the sale, so that's fine. And then he'll go and recollect the land. And now he has, the, the lender has his land and he has the loan repaid. Okay, so actually there would be a good reason, and yes, he can still collect on the loan, not like Admon, who says that the, uh, the, the loan is invalid. Okay, Maitam Adrabanan. The Gemara wants to ask further, even though Rabbanan didn't give a reason here. Uh, we say, Shapir Admon. Admon's reasoning seems to be to make sense, and nobody would sell someone land uh, and take money when that person owed him money in the first place. First pay me what, what you owe me, and then I'll sell you the land, right? 
So let's try to explain Rabbanan better. So it depends what kind of place they are. In different places, they had different uh, common practices about uh, when do you pay first or do you write a uh, the, the bill of sale first. In a place where normally the buyer pays and then only afterwards the seller signs a contract. In that case, everyone would agree that the seller can say, uh, that the, rather that the buyer, the borrower can say, uh, that you should have uh, demanded that I pay you back uh, before you, uh, you sold me the land. And in that case, surely everyone would agree with Admon. Um, because here the the um, the borrower gave the money first, right, to buy the land, and there there was no there was no loan contract yet. So at that point, the lender, if in fact it was a real that he really owed money was owed money, uh, should say, okay, I have this money. You know what? I'm keeping this money for because you owe you owed it owed it to me. And uh, forget the sale, right? If you want to buy the land, then pay me again. So everyone would agree that the fact that the sale went through shows that there was never a loan to begin with. Ki pelige, rather the machloket in the Mishnah is in a place where the custom is that first they write a sign a bill of sale and only afterwards the buyer hands over the money. In that case, Admon says in that case, even though, well, you know, the bill of sale is first, so then uh, the lender can't demand collection of the money uh, of the money just yet. Uh, he would have to. Uh, he would have to because uh, he he already sent a b- bill of sale. So that in that case, yeah, it's true. He's going to take the money for the sale, but the lender should have made a declaration uh, in front of witnesses that he's selling the field only so that it can be used as collateral. And it, this doesn't, and, and don't think that just because I sold him the field, that that means I'm canceling the debt. This debt is still around. You have to, he should, he should say so, so that no one will make the, uh, the type of claim um, uh, later on. So Admon says he should have made a moda'a, but the fact that he didn't make such a moda'a means that there never was a loan. Rabbanan, however, say, no, it's not a good idea to demand that someone make a declaration in front of witnesses because the witnesses have friends and they have friends, and the word will get back to the borrower that the seller is only selling him the land so that he can later repossess it for the loan. And then he won't buy it in the first place, and then the the seller, the lender, will not be able to collect his loan. So therefore, we cannot demand that he he uh, he make a uh, a public declaration. Uh, but it's implied that this declaration, uh, that it's an implied declaration, and it still um, it still follows through. So that's the essence of the machloket. We're kind of making it um, uh, more understandable, so that both sides are closer to each other. Um, is in fact, yeah, it really depends on. Uh, if there's if there's no declaration, do we assume that the declaration would exist because he really can't make such a declaration? Uh, or if he didn't make the declaration, then his his uh, selling of the land is is in fact an indication that there was no loan before that. 
Alright, next Mishnah. Shenaim sheosiu shetad chov ze al ze. Admon omer, ilu hayiti chayav lecha kesada talo vemimeni. Hachamim omerim ze gove shetad chovo veze gove shetad chovo. Okay, so this now, instead of a loan document and a sale document, there's two loan documents. Um, here's a, uh, a little chart. Reuven gave money to Shimon, so he's the lender. And at some later point, Shimon uh, lent money to Reuven. Um, and now they're both coming to collect from each other. So the statement, the opinion of Chachamim is simple. Each one will pay the other, right? They're both valid, and each one will pay the other. But Admon will say as follows. Uh, Reuven gave money to Shimon. And now Reuven, at, at a later point, Reuven wants to collect his money back. But Shimon can say, hey, look over here. All right, at some later point, I gave money to you. So if, if you, you borrowed money from me, would you borrow money from me if I owed you money during that time period? Obviously not. All right, you would have just collected your, uh, your loan. So the fact that you borrowed from me afterwards, Shimon says, proves that the original loan was already paid or was never valid. And therefore, I don't have, Shimon can say, I don't have to pay you, but you do have to pay me back. So only one has to pay the other, according to Admon. Uh, whereas Chachamim say, no, we don't follow that logic and both have to pay each other. Okay, so it's kind of parallel machloka to the previous case. All right, now the um, Gemara is going to um, uh, first bring a machloket between Amoraim, and then we'll bring in our Mishnah to see how it fits in. Itmar, shenaim sheosiu shtarchov ze al ze. Okay, the Gemara's talking about the very same case, um, but here we have two different opinions, um, and we'll correlate them soon. Rav Nachman says, both of them can collect, right? Aruven uh, from Shimon and Shimon from Levi. They both have loan doc, outstanding loan documents. They both collect from each other. So you see that Rav Nachman fits with Chachamim. Uh, whereas Rav Sheshat Amar Hapucheh Matrata Lamali Ela Zeomed Beshelo Vezeomed Beshelo Rav Sheshat says, what's the point of switching two equal items? The analogy is like a donkey is holding packs on each each of its sides. If it gets tired, are you going to take them and switch them around? They're the same weight, right? It makes sense if you're holding a shot, one shopping bag and your hand gets tired, then you can move to the other side. But if they're equal weight, then it's not going to help any. So Rav Sheshat, what's the point of Reuven paying Shimon $100 and Shimon one paying Reuven $100, just cancel each other out, and everybody will stay with the money that they have. So you see, Rav Sheshat is not according to Chachamim, who say they have to pay each other. It's also not according to Admon, uh, because Admon says um, only one side has to pay, right? Only the, the, the second one. The second one shows that the first one didn't, was, was invalid. Um, so we'll have, to, we'll have to reconcile Rav Sheshat. Uh, with the Mishnah. Okay, but in the meantime, let's explain what is at the essence of this machloket. Dekule alma idit veidit, benonit benonit, ziburit veziburit, vadai hapuche matratahu. Now, generally, when one, one collects a loan, one collects a loan from medium quality land. And so, therefore, if uh, uh, um, if they both both parties have the same have uh, equal quality land, um, they both have superior quality land, or they both have medium quality, or both have low quality land. So certainly, there's no point in in exchanging them uh, because they're going to get the same land that they gave. Um, okay, right. If you have all three types of land, you're going to get the medium land. If you have only one type of land, then you'll collect from whatever one type there is. So if they have the same 
the, the same type of land, uh, and uh, then one's going to give the other the medium quality, one's going to give back the medium quality, or the low quality, whatever it is. So in that case, everyone would agree that there's no point in switching them. In other words, everybody, everybody would agree with Rav Sheshat. So when do they uh, disagree, when Rav Nachman says that it does make sense to switch? Kipelige, we're going to see three proposals of, to explain Rav Nachman. The first two will be rejected. One of the parties has medium quality land, and the other one has low quality land. Rav Nachman explains that in this case, it does make sense for one to collect and then for the other to collect back. And the reason that it will be different is because Rav Nachman also thinks that we, when we assess what's low, medium, and high quality, it's not an objective standard, but rather a subjective standard, depending on what other land that person has. So here's uh, what we mean by that. If, uh, for example, someone has low and medium quality, well then, relative to him, the medium quality is his high quality. And so the low, his low quality, will be the medium, and that will is what is what will be collected. Okay, so uh, according to the first proposal of Rav Nachman, that we're going to read the, the rest of it in a minute, uh, is that Ruven, let's say, has medium quality, Shimon has low quality, and they each have loan documents out on each other. And so in that case, since here Ruven has medium quality, so let's say Shimon goes first. We'll ask in a second, why should he go first and not Ruven go first? But assuming Shimon collects first, he'll take the medium land of Ruven. So now, in the second step, he will have low and medium. When Ruven will come to collect his loan document, he's going to collect, well, the relative one. So for him, medium is high, so low is medium. So he's going to take the low. And uh, now you see that the first, at the beginning, one, he had medium and Shimon had low. And at the end, Ruven has low and he has medium. So Rav Nachman, you see, says it makes sense for them to switch because the outcome is, in fact, going to be different than it was before. Uh, whereas Rav Sheshat, as we're about to read, thinks that we follow an objective standard of what's low, medium, and high. And therefore, yeah, he'll start the same medium and low. And when Shimon comes to collect, he's going to collect the medium. When Ruven comes to collect back, he's not going to take the low. Rather, he's going to take the medium because objectively, the medium is the medium. And so he just takes back what he had before. That's why Rav Sheshat says there's no point in, in, in transferring anything because it's only going to end up the same as it was before. That is the first proposal. So here, according to Rav Nachman, the one who had the, the low will take the medium, and that for him is, is superior, is high-quality land. And then the first will come and take the low-quality land because that relative to... Uh, Shimon was the medium quality. So there is a difference when they get it back. But Rav Sheshat says there's no difference. Because he thinks that we follow an objective standard of all people. What is There's a standard for low, medium, and high. So he's just going to give the medium and take it back. Therefore, when Reuven comes to collect, he's collecting his own medium quality land, so there is no difference. All right, that's proposal number one. But now we challenge it. According to Rav Nachman, how come he decided that the one who had the low quality should collect first? 
Why, did, why doesn't he say that the medium quality guy uh, collects first and uh, for him that is low quality and the other guy will then collect that low quality back from him in other words this is actually a challenge not a not a not a good proposal uh, the but the the, the, the challenge is uh, why does she why do you assume Shimon collects first maybe Reuven would collect first and if so Reuven would collect the low 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 land and then when Shimon comes to collect this is Rav Nachman who says we uh, we follow subjective view and subjectively Reuven's medium is his highest so his low is his medium and therefore Shimon would collect his low quality land and you'd end up with the same thing you had before so why do you decide to uh, follow the what have Shimon collect first why not Uven collect first and then Rav Nachman would not make sense so we'll try to answer that so look or maybe Shimon is the one who who uh, made a claim first and that's why he collects first but that still doesn't work so and nevertheless even if one's making a claim first fine he brings his loan document the other brings his loan document when they come to actually collect they're doing it together at the same time so that it still doesn't explain why Shimon should actually collect first rather we're talking about a case where one of them has high quality and intermediate and medium quality and the other has only low quality so let's just look at the chart first I think it's easier so one Reuven here has medium and high the other one has low and so if uh, even if Reuven collects first um, uh, right because that was our, our, our challenge what if Reuven collects first but this will work either way even if Reuven collects first so now Reuven will have low medium and high and when Shimon comes to collect he will then take the medium and so the end result is not the same as the opening in the opening he had medium high and now he only has low and high in the beginning Shimon had low and now he has medium so this is good for Rav Nachman it makes sense that they should switch because the end result is in fact different from what they had in the beginning and uh, that assumes mor savar b'shelohen shamin Rav Nachman says we follow the um, uh, the subjective um, um, uh, quality mor savar b'shel kol adam shamin whereas Avshashat continues to hold that we follow the objective uh, measure and according to the objective measure uh, in this case when he has medium high another one has low since we since he uh, uh, Ruven does have objectively medium so the court will necessarily take that one first and give it to Shimon and so Shimon will have low and medium and then that medium will just go back to the Uven so according to Rav Shashat it'll end the same way it began medium high for one and low for the other and it will make no difference because we're always going to follow the objective medium and not the subjective one all right so this is a case where we can explain the Machloket according to both Rav Shashat and Rav Nachman okay now to challenge Rav Shashat from the Mishnah Tenan Chachamim Omrim both they switch right both do collect from each other so how is how's Rav Shashat gonna explain that Rav Shashat said we just cancel each other each of the loan documents out and they do not collect from each other Rav Nachman even though he was in argument with Rav Shashat was a good friend and he explained the Mishnah on behalf of Rav Shashat we're talking about a case where one of the loan documents was for 
for 10 years and the other one was for five years. And that's the reason they can't just switch because they are due at different times. And so even though they both produced a loan document, one came first, one came later. All right. Now, let's analyze exactly what the case is, because it has to fit both Admon in the Mishnah and Chachamim. Admon that says it only goes one way. If you say that the first the loan was for 10 years and the second loan was for 5 years, then Admon's logic does not apply as follows, right? There was a uh, first Reuven gave money to Shimon, and that was a 10-year loan. And at some time in between, uh, Shimon lent money to Reuven. Now, Admon's claim was uh, was uh, that uh, when Reuven comes to collect his loan, Shimon can come and say, wait, how, how could it be that I owe you money? After all, I lent you money in between. But actually, that's, that could very well be. If the first loan was for 10 years, so it could be that in in the middle of, and during this time, Reuven cannot collect his loan before 10 years, and Reuven may in fact need money. And so Reuven may very well borrow from Shimon during that 10, 10 year period, and then they will both be, uh, be uh, up um, you know, uh, uh, at the same time, or right, this one before the other, and so therefore, it could very well be that even though Reuven at one point lent money to Shimon during that that loan period, uh, Shimon lent money to Reuven. So the second one does not prove that the first one it was invalid, and so Admon would not make sense in that case. So let's try again. It must be that the first loan was for five years, and the second one was. For ten, now that itself will depend on when uh, are, are 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 they both uh, due? If they are due, if the first the five year loan became due, then what would be the reasoning for Rabbanan? Uh, in other words, here it's five and ten, and so if it's uh, the if it's between the five and ten years, so at that point it really uh, Admon's, Admon would make sense, and we can't understand Rabbanan because if the five years came due, that means uh, Shimon does have to pay back Reuven, so that when uh, uh, Shimon comes, uh, uh, Reuven comes and says, "I need money," he can just say, "Pay me back the loan." The fact that he takes his own loan means that there was no first loan, so that Admon would make sense and Reuven would not, and and if uh, the, the time did not come, even for the first um, uh, uh, date, did not yet come due, uh, then, what, uh, then what's the reasoning of Admon? If, it did, if it's not due yet, right, if it's still before, uh, before five years, then it's true. Okay, Shimon need money, he borrowed from Reuven. But then Reuven need money, he would borrow. He can't just claim it back because the, his loan did not, did not become due yet. And so Ad, Admon's reasoning would, not, uh, would uh, fall away. Uh, so that either way, that can't be. 
Rather, it could be that when it's talking about when the second loan happened exactly on the same day that the first loan was due. So Ruven gives money to Shimon uh, for five years, and on the very last date, right, the day day before the this loan is due, uh, Ruven is in need of money, and so and uh, then the question is, would Ruven go uh, wait a day so he can collect his loan, or maybe he needs the, the money exactly? To Today and he can't wait till tomorrow. And in which case, it could make sense that Ruven would borrow money from Shimon, even though on the very next day Ruven would be would be able to collect from Shimon. That's the case that we're talking about. That this machloket is in. It's a very very limited case, and the machloket surrounds more sabad avid inish de azif leomal more sabad la avid inish de azif leyomehem. According to Rabbanan uh, in the Mishnah, a person would borrow money even for one day. You have to you have a you know something else a bill due on that day. You can't wait a day. You don't want to pay late fees. Uh, they're going to come after you. So you would, a person would take out a loan even if he could just wait one day. And whereas Edmond says, no, it doesn't make sense that a person would wait just one day and take out a, would, would take out a loan rather than wait one day. He's not going to take out a loan. He'll wait till tomorrow and figure out how, what to do until, uh, what to do in the meantime. And uh, that explains uh, both sides in the Mishnah. All right. We, uh, that, this uh, answer would have to limit the, the Mishnah to a very, very small case. Instead, uh, Rami Barchama Ahmad is going to offer a different answer. And once again, this is going to be on behalf of Rav Sheshat, who says that they, they would cancel each other out. Um, so in what case would one pay for, uh, would, would you not cancel each other out? So normally, if they're equal, if they both owe each other money, yeah, they would cancel each other out. That's what Avshashat says. But the Mishnah is talking about a case where one of the parties um, has died and he's left, he leaves orphans without any land. Um, and because orphans can collect loans that were due to their father. But others cannot collect from from the movable property of the orphans, only from land. So let's assume it's a case where these orphans have no land. So in that case, um, we should not just cancel out the two loan documents. We're talking about we have two two parties. One is one was someone who borrowed and lent, and the other one is the orphans whose father also borrowed and lent. They both produce these loan documents, and so in that case, don't cancel each other out. Them don't cancel them out. Rather, the orphans will be able to collect from the property of the person who's still living, whereas the person who's, who's living will not be able to collect from the orphans because the orphans don't have land. And so there, you don't want to cancel out because by not canceling out, one gets paid and one doesn't. Now, we challenged Rami Barchama, the Mishnah said, both of them collect. And in this case, only one of them collecting, so it doesn't fit the word so well. So what he means by it is, one actually collects the orphans, and the other one does have a right to collect, but the problem is, the other part doesn't have any uh, any land. So that's why just practically they can't collect, but it means that uh, they have both have a right to collect. All right, uh, Rava, who's always challenging Rami Barchama, Amar I have two challenges to you. First of all, the language of the Mishnah, you didn't explain it sufficiently. It means that they both are actually collecting from each other. And furthermore, if the person who's living 
pays land to the orphans, then the orphans will have land, and then he can collect it back. So you would always have a case of one uh, collecting from the other. And so there, there, then it's, you don't have an answer for Dav Sheshat because it's still canceling each other out. The guy who's living will just give them land, and then say, oh, look, you have land. I'm going to collect my loan from your land. And we, we know we could do this because Nachman taught that uh, orphans who collect land uh, in order to pay for, uh, to, to collect a loan for their father. Um, where if he does that, then a lender, even though even though they didn't inherit any land and they only got the land afterwards in payment, nevertheless, a lender can go and take that land from them. And so, Rami Barchama, sorry, your answer is not sufficient. We leave that with a question. Okay, last. Let's try to revive Rami Barchama's answer, even according to what Rava said, that the lender will give the land to the orphans and, the or- and, then, and then collect it back. It could still be in such a case where they end with something that they didn't start off with, even according to Rav Shashat. How so? Uh, let's say the orphans have only in, uh, low-quality land, whereas the live person has high-quality and medium-quality. So now the orphans are going to go and collect the medium-quality from the from the living person. And then when the living person goes to collect back his land, uh, because he's also, oh, this is, oh, look, now you have land, he's going to get only inferior quality. And why? Because we're about to see there's a rule that whenever someone collects from orphans, they only collect inferior quality land. The orphans always have the upper hand in that. Even if you say, as Rav Shashat does, that we follow a... Uh, a, a, a an objective standard of of what's called medium. Nevertheless, everyone agrees that when you collect from orphans, you only collect from the low quality land. And so here you can have a case where even though the the land is just going back and forth, but it's not the same land that goes back and forth. The but this answer doesn't work in the end because we say when we say that someone only gets in collect only, someone can only collect inferior quality land from orphans that's if he didn't seize the land and the, and, and the betin is going to give it to him but if they go in ahead and seized uh, the medium quality land from the orphans then what they have seized is valid we let it we let it re- remain and therefore in this case even though the orphans originally had only or a low quality land if the um, and, uh, since the lender has medium quality land and it's already in his hands and all that's going to happen is that he's going to give it to the orphans and then he's going to have to if he then if he does that then when he takes it back yeah he'll have to get ziburit but since he already has it in his hands it's as if he gave it and already seized it and if you are already seized it then you can keep the the medium quality land and therefore uh, this would not even for Dav Shashat this would not be it makes sense to uh, go ahead and switch you could just leave the land where it is because it's going to end up being the same uh, as it was in the beginning and so this Rami Bar Chama's solution does not work all right next Mishnah we have three, we divide Israel into three uh, areas regarding marriage, Yehuda, the south, 
the Yardin, the other side of the Jordan, and the Galilee up in the north. And the different the the meaning is that uh, if one says we're going to live here in the in Judea, then they have a right to force each other to live in Judea, and you can't move one from one region to the other. And so therefore a man uh, cannot remove his uh, wife and force her to live in from going from uh, uh, Jerusalem and say now we're going to live in uh, Safat or, or the other way around um, or from one town in the south to a town in the north is not allowed. But to move from Yerushalayim to Lod to Yavne, all in Judea, that would be permitted as long as it's all, it's all from a city to another city or from a small town to another small town. But even within Judea or even within one region, uh, the one, one, uh, uh, a man cannot force his wife to move from a big city to a little city or from a little town to a big city uh, because the quality of life is different. Uh, one is allowed to force his wife to move from a place that's not such a nice place to live to a better place to live. But he can't move, uh, force her to move from a pleasant place to a place that's all dirty and not nice to live. Uh, Rabban Gamaliel disagrees and says, no, a man cannot even force his wife to go from an, uh, a bad place to live to a pleasant place to live because the pleasant place to live also at Bodek, it tests an individual. There's actually some benefit when you go to this nice uh, upscale neighborhood, then there's, uh, there are other uh, problems, maybe social problems, other things that are going to be uncomfortable. And so they have, he has to make, get her agreement even to move from a uh, lower quality to a higher quality area. All right. Bishlam mikrach leir de bekrach shechiche komile beir lo shechiche komile. Now we're going to analyze this, and so we understand with why you uh, he cannot force her to go from a big city to a small town because in a big city you have everything available. There's every kind of store, every kind of merchant, everything is there. It's so convenient. So that's why you can't uh, downgrade to a little town. But ela meir lekrach my taama. But what's the matter? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? be able to force her to go from a town into a city. Isn't that city better? Oh, this supports a statement that Rabbi Yosef Barchanina, who said that uh, living in cities also has its difficulties. There's a lot of congestion, there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of uh, pollution, and not, no, no gardens and fresh air. Uh, so it's true, you have convenience of markets, but you have an inconvenience of other things. Um, and uh, we know that from in Nehemiah, uh, where he blesses the people who are willing to dwell in Yerushalayim, a big city, right? A lot of noise, and so each one has its uh, ups and downs. So this is, you know, same truth till till today. Everyone's debating better to live in the city or in the suburb. Each one has benefits, and uh, therefore they have to be in agreement if they're going to move. My bodek, Rashbag says a man cannot force his wife to go from an ugly dwelling to a nice dwelling because it tests 
I thought it might mean it tests them, you know, in terms of materialism, uh, that, uh, you know, they can, uh, uh, there, there are challenges to living in a nice place. Are they still going to maintain their, uh, you know, humility and gratitude? Okay, but anyway, Rashbag explains it differently. My bodek, Kiddush Gemara explains it differently. As Shemuel said, Any change in one's eating habits, veset means a regular pattern, is going to lead to disease. Even if you're upgrading and eating fancy food, it doesn't matter. It's just different from what you're used to, and therefore that's not good. And the same thing with a dwelling place. If you're used to a small apartment, then you just get used to it. You like it. You're going to move to a mansion, and you're not going to feel comfortable there. And this is supported by something we find in the book of Ben Sira. This is found in the Apocrypha. It was not included in the Tanakh, uh, but it was written during the second Beit HaMikdash by a man named Ben Sira. It's a very nice book. It reads like Mishle. Maybe the rabbis excluded only because it was too late, not because they found anything particularly objectionable uh, in it. And the fact is, in fact, that the Gemara quotes it often even though technically it's one of the Sefarim Chitzoniim. Okay, so here's a quote from Ben Sira um, that says, All the days of a poor person are bad. Wait, what do you mean? Why is all his days bad? Doesn't he have Shabbat and Yom Tov? When uh, there's lots of food and people will invite him over and he can enjoy a good meal, so those days shouldn't be bad. And the answer is, Any change in one's eating habits is already going to, maybe he'll have enjoy that good meal, but afterwards he's going to have a stomach ache uh, because that's not the that's not what he's used to. And say, so, uh, you know, just because you're uh, so-called upgrading, if you're not used to it, it's not necessarily a good thing. Ben Sira Omer Aflelot Beshefel Gagim Gago Umirom Harim Karmo Mimtar Gagim Le Gago Mafar Karmo La Keramim. Since we're quoting Ben Sira, we'll, con- we'll continue the quote. For poor people, not only are, are days bad, also the nights are bad. Uh, the, his roof is a low point among all the roofs. He has the lowest roof, and his high point is uh, is up on the mountain, meaning his uh, vineyard is going to be up on top of a mountain. He can't afford the low down. L- vineyards are better to be low down. He can't afford those, so his vineyard is all the way on top of the mountain, which is the worst of both worlds. Since his his uh, the roof of his uh, home is lower down, all the rain wa- washes off everybody else's roof and falls on him. And so he gets all the rain on his roof. Whereas, his, since his vineyard is on top, whenever it rains, the good soil of his vineyard and his fertilizer gets washed away and goes down to other people's um, uh, vineyards. So uh, his days are no good when he's working. His nights are no good when he's trying to sleep and everybody's rain is falling on his roof. All right, that brings us to the last Mishnah. Hakol ma'alin et Yisrael ven hakol motzi'in. Anyone, in anyone in the family, the husband and the wife, we'll see also even slaves in a second, um, can force the other party to make aliyah. And none of them can force the other to make Yerida and leave Eretz Yisrael. Even if they live in Israel, if one of the spouses says, I want to live in Yerushalayim, that's holier, and they can force the other. And they cannot force each other to leave Jerusalem. This applies to the men and the women, the husbands and the wives. They, it's always, they can always go up and make Aliyah and move to Yerushalayim. Nasa 
Ishah Be'eretz Yisrael. Gershah Be'eretz Yisrael. Noten Namot Eretz Yisrael. Now we're going to talk about the nominations. A lot of times there's a coin, like a Canadian dollar and U.S. dollar. It has the same name, but it has different amounts. So if someone got married in Israel, and they wrote the Kitubah in Israel, and then they got divorced also in Israel. So that's a simple case. Obviously, we mean the denomination of the coins in Israel. However, one, if, if, it's, if they got married and divorced in a different place, we always favor Israel, no matter which one it is. So if they got married in Israel, and that means they wrote the Ketubah in Israel, even, and then even though they got divorced in Kapotkia up in the north and nevertheless we follow the denomination of Israel and the same the opposite if they get married got married in Kapotkia but they got divorced in Israel we still use the coins of Israel However, Rashbag would say, no, in that case, since uh, they got married in Kapotkia, they have to use the denomination of Kapotkia. Wherever you signed the Kitubah, wherever you got married, that's what you assumed, right? If I say I'm going to give you right, $100, and if we uh, are in America, then that's what I mean. I'm going to give you 100 of U.S. dollars, and even if we move to Canada, Canada afterwards, obviously it means that I'm still going to use the American. American dollars. Uh, not obviously, that's Rashbag's opinion. You go by the place where you uh, 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 obligated yourself. Okay. Everyone would agree that if you got married and divorced in Kapotkia, then you use the currency of Kapotkia. You're not going to use Etz Yisrael when, you, when, when you, they were never there. Okay, good. Hakol ma'alin latuyemai, latuya avadim. When it says hakol, anyone can force the family to go to make, uh, make aliyah, even the slave can say, listen, I want to make aliyah. But even if the slave wants, says, I want to go to Israel, either they all have to move to Israel for him, or uh, the, he would have, they would have to um, allow him to go. They could sell him to someone who lives in Israel. But he has a right to live in Israel. Now there's another version of the Mishnah where it says explicitly, even slaves. Where it says even men or women, it says slaves also. So in that case, what is the Hakol coming to include? It's coming to include even if they live in a nice dwelling outside the land of Israel, one anyone in the family can force the other to make aliyah, even though they're going to live in a uh, in an ugly dwelling, better an ugly dwelling in Israel than a nice one outside. Vena kol mosiin, and nobody can force each other to leave Israel. Latuyemai, what is this hakol coming to include? Latuyemai, shabarach mechusa la'aretz, tamrin aneza b'nei hachav eziel mishum yeshivat es Yisrael. That comes to even include a, a runaway slave. They're living outside of Israel. The slave says, I want to make aliyah. He runs away. We cannot force him to say, hey, come back. You can't, you can't go there. We come back to outside of Israel. Rather, we tell the owner of the slave, you have to sell him uh, here in Israel, let him stay in Israel. And it's because he has a right to do that. So that's what we learned from that hakol. Hakol malin Yerushalayim latuyemai. What's this all? When it says all can force each other to move to Jerusalem, what is that including? Even if they have a nice dwelling outside of Jerusalem, and there's going to have a more ugly dwelling in Jerusalem, uh, real estate in Jerusalem is hard to find. It's gonna, probably going to be smaller quarters. Um, nevertheless, one can 
party of the family can force the others to move to Yerushalayim. Ve'en and they cannot force each other to leave Yerushalayim, la'tuyamai, what's that call coming to include? Even if they um, are going from an uglier dwelling to a nicer dwelling outside of Jerusalem, nevertheless, they cannot force each other. And truth is, we could have figured that out on our own, uh, but since in the uh, for, in the beginning of the Mishnah was talking about moving to Israel and leaving Israel, uh, said En Motzi'in, it brought both cases, so too, for parallelism for, in Jerusalem, we also bring going to Jerusalem, where uh, there we, we can we could have figured out from this this clause that if you can force uh, the other to move from a nicer place to an ugly place, so surely you cannot force them to leave, we could have figured it out, but we just bring the En Motzi'in for parallelism anyway. Now here's the details. He wants to make Aliyah, but the wife does not want to make Aliyah, so we force her to. And if she refuses, then he, the husband has a right to divorce her and not pay the Ketuvah. That's part of the, part of the deal of getting married, is that he can always come and say, I, I decided I want to live in Israel. And uh, she can not go, but she'll lose her Ketuvah. And the opposite. If she wants to make Aliyah and says, I don't want to make Aliyah, then we force the husband to make Aliyah. And if he still refuses, then he will have to divorce her and he will pay a Ketuvah. Her, uh, uh, her desire to, live, to make Aliyah is grounds to say, to, to um, make him divorce her and he does have to pay the Ketuvah. That's part of the part of the deal of marriage. He omitted la set vi homer shelola set, kofinota, shelola set, vim left ketuvah. Same thing if they already are living in Israel. She wants to leave Israel and he wants to stay in Israel. So then we force her to uh, to stay in Israel. And if she refuses, she goes anyway, then he can divorce her and she loses her ketubah. Who omed la set vi omed shelola set, kofinoto shelola set, vim lav yosivi ten ketubah. If he says, I want to leave Israel, and she says, no, I want to stay in Israel, then we force him to stay in Israel. And if not, then he has to divorce her, and he does have to pay her ketubah. She has a right to stay. Nasa Isha. If someone marries in Israel and then divorces in Kapodkiah, the other way around, right? We so we always go by the denomination of Israel according to the Tanakhama. We ask Hagufa Kashya. This Gemara seems to be self-contradictory. Katane Nasaisha Bet Israel Vegeshabek Kapodkiah Noten Lamot Eris Israel Alma Batashi Budazinan. First you say that if you got married in Israel and then and you got divorced in Kapodkiah, you follow the coins of Israel. That means we follow the place where you um, uh, you took the obligation upon yourself where you signed the ketubah, which makes sense, and that would be the first place. That's Eretz Yisrael. And Basefa Nasaisha bekapotke v'gesha Eretz Yisrael until ma'ot Eretz Yisrael al ma'batar gubayna azinan. But in the next clause. It says that if they got married in Kapotkia and divorced in Eretz Yisrael, then they follow the coins of Eretz Yisrael, which means we follow the place of where we are collecting at the end, uh, at the time of the get. And that contradicts, the, in, the principles contradict each other. Do you follow the place where the obligation is taken or where the collection is happening? Uh, both have good reasoning, but you have to pick one or the other. explains that we are lenient on the husband. He can pick 
uh, the, 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 more, the, more, the more lenient, the, uh, the, the um, coins in Etz Yisrael were generally less valuable uh, than the coins outside. And so that's why it's a leniency on him. And the reason why we are lenient is because the whole ketubah is only midirabanan. So safektirabanan, lakel. It could, the coins could refer to the more expensive, the less expensive. We follow the less expensive. I thought that the reason was because we love Eretz Yisrael. And so anytime there's any, um, any ambiguity, we're going to assume, of course, they meant Israel. Um, and, you know, that would make sense with the beginning of the Mishnah. Okay, but Rabban gives a different reason. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omen, noten lame meot kapotkia. Kasabar Ketubah de Oraita. Rashbag says that if the Ketubah was written in Kapotkia, then we follow the coinage of Kapotkia. We always follow the point of origination uh, because he must think that a Ketubah is de Oraita. We're going to see in de Oraita laws, like any loan document we're about to talk about, we follow the place of origination if we know where it is because that's when, that's when I obligated myself. So I'm assuming the uh, currency of the place where I actually signed that document. Okay, so that's uh, Rashbag makes sense. Now, Tenor Banan. If someone produces a loan document, if it says in the loan document that right, he borrowed money in Bavel, then wherever, it doesn't matter where they are when they collect, they're always going to have to collect with the coinage of Bavel, because that's where he obligated himself. So that was the assumption. And if it says in the document Israel, then they're going to use the coins in Israel. However, Katupostam doesn't say where the loan originated, where they were. Uh, so then you can't go by that. In that case, since we don't have information about the origination, we'll follow wherever it's being collected. If he uh, produced the document and is collecting in Bavel, uh, then he used the the denomination of Bavel in Israel, then used the denominations in Israel. If it's a says uh, money and it doesn't say what type of coins, you know, this many coins, and it doesn't say is it right, is it big coins, small coins. Coins, silver ones. So then, in that in that case, he can pay uh, the 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 borrower can pay back any coins he wants. You didn't say if it's quarters or dimes or pennies, so he can pay any type he wants. Um, that is true for a loan document. Now the last line is curious. It just says this is not true for a ketubah. What is that talking about? It can't be talking about the end because if anything, ketubah is going to be more lenient than a loan document. So you wouldn't say that in a loan document he can pay back any coin he wants, but in the ketubah he has to pay what the biggest coin? No, shouldn't doesn't make sense. Rather, must be talking about the beginning. Ahaya, which which clause is this talking about? When it says at the beginning that you follow the place of origination where it's written, if it's in Rin Bavel, you follow Bavel. Um, so we say that's not true regarding a ketubah. In a ketubah, if it's written in Bavel and then and then paid in Etz Yisrael, or the other way around, we always follow the lower denomination, which is the that of Eretz Yisrael. And we say that in order to exclude Rashbag, because Rashbag says that a ketubah is doraita, according to Rashbag, that this would be the same, the resha would be the same for a ketubah and for a loan document, um, but uh, the author of this, Baraita, 
is not Rashbag, is Tanakama, who says that we do not follow that law for a ketubah. Ketubos kesef seta, magbehu. Regarding this clause, if it just says money, and it doesn't say what type of coin, then he can pay any coin he wants. Hold on, ve'eman nascha, maybe talking about bars or strips of silver that do have a set amount. If he didn't write coins, then he probably means those strips. No, we're talking about a case where it does say uh, coin. It says coins of silver, but it doesn't say which type. Because uh, there's lots of coins made out of silver, bigger ones, smaller ones. So maybe it means even a piruta. Piruta is the smallest possible denomination. It's like a penny. So maybe even a penny, he could pay with that. He said, you know, a thousand silver coins. He can pay with a, salv- a thousand silver Pennies? No, no one makes pennies out of silver. Silver is more valuable, so you're not going to make the smallest denomination out of silver. What are you going to have a little tiny uh, dot? Uh, so, therefore, it's not going to be mina peruta no matter what. Uh, we'll end here and we'll leave the next part, which begins the long agada about the praises of the land of Israel. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.